0: hi everybody it is uh what day is it today it is the Jesus my glasses uh it is the 13th of may 2021 and this is episode 75 of the Luke Thomas live chat hello everyone my name is Luke Thomas I'm from CBS sports and Showtime and Viacom and anything else in between I guess um today's live chat let's see what will we get to today uh, UFC 262 is this weekend I'm sure we'll get to parts of that uh any kind of news in the MMA world you want to get to, we'll get to that. Movies maybe, a little music, maybe even a little politics, depending on uh, how y'all are feeling. And I guess how I'm feeling too. Um, of course, I put up a thread the day before on the community section of this uh, YouTube channel, youtube.com slash morning combat. You guys fill it up, you guys then rank your questions, and then we get to those, alright? So, that's better. I can see a little bit better. God, I am just, I'm every year closer to 50, I am unbelievably washy it's just the worst the absolute worst um how are you gonna do fuck can't beat father time can you all right with that out of the way uh oh here we go ready let's do this thumbs up on the video hit subscribe as well and let's get this party started all right there we are um yeah sorry we didn't do one of these last week we were just a little bit busy in mohegan on that thursday um but we're back now you know i want to do those on the road but they're a little bit harder than you might imagine just in terms of scheduling um but here at home obviously it's no issue so thank you for watching i appreciate it let us get to your questions shall we all right, YouTube.com/slash/MorningCombat. Let's put that there. Let's go to community. All right, let's do this. First question, Luke. What did you think of about the fan reaction to the podcast you did with the Weighing In crew? Well, uh, I can't tell you that I'm overly in tune with what the with what the fan reaction was. B.C. basically told me that there were some folks pushing back on Josh. I guess some folks thought he was a little bit aggressive in the end. Uh, You know, he's probably a little bit aggressive, but, um, you know, behind the scenes, I talked to him later that evening. I talked to a couple of times, as a matter of fact. I saw him a couple of times. Um, We got dinner from the same place. Like, he he couldn't have been a nicer guy. You know... Was it a little bit maybe over the top? Eh, maybe, but uh, I don't think that's a, I don't think that like that one event is a fair representation of who you know, he, he is, if, if you were one of those folks who got a bad taste in your mouth. You know, is there a better way to potentially mesh? Yeah, probably, but um, I, 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 I tend to think that like, a lot of folks take what happens on these shows a little bit more seriously than perhaps they should in terms of fan dynamic, or, or excuse me, in terms of like panel dynamic, you know, BC, me, Josh, Big John, we're, you know, we're grown men. We could tolerate a little bit of pushback. So uh, I can't say I I greatly understand what folks were upset about because I didn't pay a ton of attention to it. But based on what BC said, I understand where they're coming from. But I would just say, you know, relax a little bit. On a scale of one to ten, how disgusted were you? When BC said, Steven Seagal is in his top four action movie stars of the 80s on Room Service Diaries. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I sort of understand, given that he's got more than a few memorable performances, or at least memorable movies, Marked for Death, Hard to Kill, blah, 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 all that stuff. But, like, just in terms of the ones you really remember as great movies, I I don't really remember the Steven Seagal ones as, like, as just that, as hugely memorable. I remember details The first time I saw it, I remember details about Predator, Bloodsport. Um, so even Enter the Dragon, which of course is different, it was a '70s kind of thing. But still, like, I don't know. I just never. I don't remember any of Seagal's things. I, I can't say that he wasn't big at the time that those movies were made. He certainly was. Can't say that like those movies are decidedly worse than the ones I like. They're definitely not. But I just feel like he was a high achiever, but not enough to be. You know Mount Rushmore pantheon of greatness, uh, and I had someone write me the other day, and I think we had brought this up a little bit, but um, you know, you have to kind of ignore all of Asian uh, fight cinema or martial arts cinema to even, I think, consider Seagal. And I think once you start including, you know, what, what Hong Kong was doing at that time and um, and other studios, um, you know, out of Asia, you just I, 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 he's not part of the conversation. <laughs> Luke Should should we be concerned about your health Given the fact that you blew up three commodes in one day No First of all you spelled mohegan wrong uh, No it wasn't one day It was three over three consecutive days Which is not to say that that's a healthy representation of the human body But it's not. It's definitely not as bad as doing it three in one day No I am um, finally fixing a lot of old ailments I have quad tendonitis Shocker so I'm going to physical therapy for that. I don't in a major intervention, but you know, need a little help around the edges and, and certainly for my uh, intestinal health. Um, I'm, you know, I'm on a path to recovery for that as well. Or, you know, uh, I'm gonna get surgery probably in the summer for it. So, you know, these are just long. I mean, it's funny, man, as a kid, I never broke a bone. I never hardly ever got sick. Uh, so like the first 25 years of my life was a model. Uh, Maybe even you could argue the first 30 Because it was right at 30 when things started to go south That's when I tore my labrum That's when I never had allergies before Like never You could have chucked pollen in my face In pure concentrated form And I wouldn't feel anything And I would walk around like just the worst person in America You know, thinking about how inferior everyone's genetics were For being, you know Subject to ragweed and then it turns out it's just that mine allergies didn't develop until later in life and then like literally the the first like five or six times I got allergies I didn't even know what it was. I was trying to explain to someone I'm like I don't have a cold but I've got this blah blah blah. They're like yeah you have allergies and I was like but I've never had allergies. Like you do now. Uh, So it's only been the last 10 or 11 years or so that things have been like a lot worse than they used to be and then partly it's I let things go because for the first 30 years of my life I didn't have to do anything everything just took care of itself and then now it's like this just it's a mess uh do you get paid for doing non cbs radio media appearances if not what is the advantage as a booster profile uh have I ever gotten paid for a non cbs i mean in theory it's possible that you could depending on the circumstance but if you're asking like if I go on a radio station locally, or even a big one, like a, you know, a Jim Rome, or if I went on whatever, some kind of big sports platform, would they pay for it? No, they would not pay for it. You're asking what the advantage is. One, it's sort of like, it's an it's a third party validating factor of influence, so I think that's nice, you know, uh, I mean, they're having you on because they're telling their audience that your opinion is worth hearing on this, it, it, some sort of subject matter. Expert might be a strong word, but informed. Uh, but yeah, like it can absolutely boost your profile. I mean, you know, I, if you do a random show in Lincoln, Nebraska, even if it's hitting all of Lincoln, is that going to change your life? Probably not. And in fact, you know, I've done big. I've done Colin Coward's show when he was on ESPN. You guys know I did Rogan. Like those things are. F- I didn't get paid for that, obviously. Like you. Those are great because people are going to hear you that, and in, in a huge number are going to hear you and a lot of people who never heard you before are going to hear you. That's really the, the benefit. But even then, it takes a long time for that to really turn over into something. I found for me, uh, the, the, like, I thought, oh, if I get on this show, it'll be game-changing. If I get you know, this kind of job where I have this kind of exposure, it'll be game-changing. And it definitely helps, but it takes a long time for that to add up accumulatively. So it's kind of like the slow investment in exposure. How common are Joshua Fabia-like characters in MMA, managers or support staff? And do you think laws will be enacted in the next few years to prevent them from working with fighters? You know what's kind of funny about the Fabia situation as best I can tell, MMA has, uh, and fight sports generally, but let's just talk about MMA. MMA has always, you know what's weird about it, it's always had totally unusual characters in every way. Make sure everything's working here. Sorry, I forgot to double check. Yeah, it's fine. Um, has always had unusual characters in every way. I mean, I remember back in the IFL days, we had Matt Horwich, who was this totally whacked out dude. And even before him, who was the first Peruvian guy who fought in UFC? He was a good jujitsu guy. Um, God, what was his name? I think BJ's guy fought him. Let's see. Hold on. Um, he was uh, totally out there, too. Hold on. So if I go back a little bit... Who fought him? No. fuck was his name? Anyway, he was kind of a character. And even before, even in other ways, like... Not so much about any one particular thing, but just in terms of showmanship. Like, Shoney Carter kind of always been out there. And you guys know, like, Eddie Bravo's had strange opinions for a long time. Crone Gracie very similar to him. In fact, if you think about it, uh, in terms of like the adoption of, I don't mean in a harmful way, but just sort of people who entertain and traffic in this stuff. If you notice in MMA, like there's a high degree of tolerance of strange ideas, of strange people, of people who do or believe or engage in what other circles, even in, among sports fans and sports communities would consider to be somewhat outrageous. You know, personally, you guys know how I feel about um, uh, you know, the scientific illiteracy that I think is has revealed itself through the pandemic in, in adoption of favor. And by the way, it's not exclusive to MMA. Like, you know, you've got uh, Tom Brady or Russell uh, West—not uh, Westbrook, excuse me. Um, God damn, my memory is just not what it used to be. The, the quarterback for the Seahawks, Russell Wilson, espousing certain kinds of like fad waters, you know, that are oxygenated or whatever the fuck, you know, just some sort of Total nonsense. It's hardly exclusive, but there's just been many more of them. I bring an uh, MMA. I bring this up only to say, if you were an eccentric character, um, but otherwise in the fight sport game, credible people just let you rock. I mean, Diego's always had. Uh, I mean, did, have you guys ever watched the first season of the Ultimate Fighter? I believe it's on Fight Pass. I would imagine that it is. It's probably somewhere. It's accessible. You know, Diego was kind of out there too, not to the same degree, but like, what was it, season two, Luke Kumo was there advocating, you know, Machida did it, piss drinking and all this fucking, you know, it's just like they've, they've, there's been guys who have believed in all manner of crazy things and done all manner of crazy things. But all of that is forgivable if once you're in the octagon, um, the the reality of what you can do shows. Uh, Certainly, it is true that Joshua Fabia did not inherit a peak Diego. He inherited a Diego who was very much at the end of his run. Um, And then some, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Diego's the last one left from the Ultimate Fighter, still in active competition. So, uh, So, okay, he didn't get, like, cream of the crop Diego. But at the same time, there's just not a lot of evidence, either from folks who have trained, like Emil Mech, who was there for the knife incident, or uh, anybody else, I I just don't see any other party inside of MMA who, as strange as they may be, or as normal as they may be, but certainly when it comes to having occupational competency, uh, I've never seen any of them vouch for him. You know, that's sort of the weird part about it. It's like, am I, me, or you in a position to say he is or is not a good coach? I mean, I've got some ideas about it, but like, at the end of the day, I'm probably not best situated to make that kind of a claim. But the folks who are, they seem pretty unanimous. (laughs) So, like, to me, it's like, oh, he's weird in this way and he's weird in that way. I'm like, none of that shit seems like that would be the reason why there's this, like, virulent rejection and and attempted... uh, Well, he, he certainly serves as, you know, his own catalyst for this. But this major ostracism that's happening as well, again, he is partly responsible for that too but like to me it's like people focusing like isn't he strange and isn't he blah 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 and isn't that's it? not exactly what your question was worded but i just want to be clear i think everyone would completely look past it if and only if um there were results to show for it in competition but you don't have those either you know they're not going to be too tolerant uh of anything and uh, I think that's sort of where he finds itself. So you might be asking, are there other? Like, what was exactly the nature? fabia like characters. So if you mean people that other people consider to be out of their depth, I'm sure it happens time to time. But I wouldn't say it's some kind of a plague. You know, at some point you got to pull your weight, and if the results aren't there, you know, people who want to win are going to go somewhere else, or you're going to get pushed away. You know what I mean? Like you won't last if that's really a thing. Um. But just saying crazy shit and, you know, maybe embellishing a resume or whatever, I think that's completely common. I don't think, in that sense, I don't think he's in any way all that different. Luke, what are your thoughts on parasocial relationships and how do you deal with them? Also, weirdest fan interaction. Cheers. Uh, If you guys know what parasocial relationships, it's sort of a layman's way of explaining it is that, like, you guys might see people on TV or even me on YouTube And people out there might imagine themselves as having a personal relationship with that other person who they don't actually know. They just sort of consume the content this way, but they feel like they know them. They feel like they'll write to them and feel like they have, you know, some kind of actually a a much more um, personal interaction when when perhaps they do not. You know, I can't say that I'm especially famous or that I've had to deal with a ton of this, although it is kind of, again, going back to the Josh Thompson thing, everyone took it like very seriously. When BC and I were kind of like, you know, he came on a little strong, but we didn't... I don't I don't think we thought about it much more than that. Um, you know, I think partly you get... Listen, I think mostly it's a good thing. I think mostly, not that people should be delusional about what their relationships have, but, like, I have found that the people who might border on that kind of behavior towards me... And, again, I'm going to be a very borderline case. I've got some public persona, but not necessarily a ton. Uh, I found them to be, you know, a little bit aggressive, but mostly quite harmless and mostly... Um, very, very supportive and very like invested in what you do. And, you know, we, there's a word for those in, in radio. They call them P1s. The people like you just know if they are conscious, the radio is on. If they're in their car, they're listening to that station. If they're at home, they're downloading the podcast. Like they are, they don't miss an episode. P1. You know, in general, I've found them to not, to be, to be maybe a little bit aggressive, like I said before, but mostly harmless. There are some other cases. I remember years ago, um, I had someone write me who um, was totally, I won't say who it was, it was about, was totally out of his mind and thought he had a relationship with a famous fighter and asked me to get in touch with them for them. And and the the, the email was worded in slight I mean, it, some flags went up for me. So I actually was like alarmed enough by it where I took it to uh, in-house attorneys to be like, is this something we should be concerned about? Ultimately, a panel of them decided that At this juncture, probably not. And there wasn't... I mean, there was nothing illegal done. uh, Or, you know, anything that would suggest that um, that was imminent. Um, But, you know, obviously, if you get really famous and people get really attached to you, it can be... um, It can be toxic. You're asking about the weirdest fan interaction. Dude, in normal... I've, I've honestly... I've never really had a super weird one. The only one that was kind of weird, it was like, I forget what time of day it was. It must have been. So, like, the way it works for me is everyone will be different. But if I go to a fight and I cover it and it ends at, um, it ends at like, you know, Vegas time. So let's say it ends around midnight or so, or my coverage is done around midnight or so, Vegas time. I like to fly out of Vegas at the very first flight I can. That usually happens around 5, but closer to 6, even sometimes 7 in the morning, depending on the schedule. I had one one time for 5.45 in the morning, still dark out when I left. People were still coming back and partying um, when I was going to check in for my flight. You know, two very different realities about Vegas life. And uh, first of all, John Voigt was on my flight, which was kind of interesting. I was like, why is he going to fucking Baltimore? But all right, neither here nor there. But two dudes who were, they were friendly, but they came up to me, I was waiting for the flight, and um, they came up to me, and obviously this is pre-pandemic, and they go, you know, are you Luke Thomas? I'm like, yes. And they're like, cool, man. And then didn't ask me anything. (laughs) Like, just kept looking at me. I'm like, you know, is there a question? Or like, did you have something you wanted to ask? So I'm like, I tried to make a little conversation with them. like, oh, did you guys go to the fights and blah, blah. I think this was after Khabib and Conor. Could be wrong about that, but and they were like, "Yeah, I went to the fights," and then just stood there, like, like no two way volley in a conversation. That was a little. I was like, "So, what do you want me to say?" I I didn't understand like what they wanted, or you know, if they just wanted to like look at me close up. I don't know what they wanted. That was a little strange, but like if that's the weirdest, you know, fan interaction. Um, you know, you've got it nice. Um, I'll skip this one because I've kind of been over it. Oh, Lord. Uh, I do want to get into that right away. It's only 3.20. Let me get to some other MMA questions before I get to this uh, other one. Uh, Luke, with Alan Joban uh, retiring, what is your view on his career? He seems to be one of the good guys in the game and usually delivered fun fights. The fact that he had model gigs on the side and always came to bang in the cage should have made him more marketable, but UFC never really pushed him. And is he your mix-up bro, Luke Rockhold, the hottest male model on the roster? I don't know why I'd be capable of answering a question like that, Um, but leave, leave it to somebody who can judge male hotness better than me uh which is gonna be just about anyone um uh, but let's look at his career let's sort of go through it here just a little bit a little bit mini resume review and i can't fuck it up right because he already retired so he went f- finished with 17 and seven i don't know where he was ranked at the moment he retired um he entered the ufc with a record of nine and two and he had wins over seth Buzinski, I'm trying to think of some names I recognize. Bilal Muhammad, Mike Perry. This was Mike Perry of 2016. He was a little bit more of a force to be reckoned with. Ben Saunders and Jared Gooden. So, what would you say his best win is? I'd probably argue the Bilal Muhammad win. That might be his best one. That was a great one. Although he looked really good in his last fight against Jared Gordon at UFC 255. Um, but, you know, he had bad fights and losses to Dwight Grant, Nico Price, uh, Gunnar Nelson, Albert Tumanov, Avorley Alves, and Mike Rhodes out of uh, LFA. Or RFA at the time. I'd say he had, um, you know, a, uh, a certainly a professional career worthy of dignity. I thought that uh, he constantly showed improvement. You know, did he have wins over super highly ranked great fighters? No, he doesn't. Does he have the most exemplary record I've ever seen, either numerically or qualitatively? No, uh, he certainly does not. I mean, I don't think we need to say untrue things in order to say good things. But I think he showed that he was a martial artist. This was a guy that, you know, whatever you want to say about his good looks, people tend to focus on that. Dude, the guy's really, really good in terms of explaining the game. He's good not not really on camera as someone to observe, but in terms of articulating himself, articulating ideas. I think he is quite excellent at it. Um, And, you know, it's good to see someone who's really well-rounded in that sense. He is a go-getter. He works hard. Like those gigs about being a commentator, they don't come to you... Effortlessly, You have to go out and seek them, and he did. So, you know, if you can win on the UFC level, uh, and he did, he had three-fight win streak he put together, which by itself is rare. Not a lot of fighters, believe it or not, have three-fight win streaks. He got one. Um, I think he, you know, distinguished in the sense of uh, he made a strong account of himself. Not so much in the all-time, where does he rank. You know, in that sense, I don't think he's necessarily relevant to that conversation. But I, I think it's, here's a person who is generally quite a high achiever well-rounded hard-working um, knows his own limits right I think you can honestly say that and um, was able to become I would say a very respectable quality fighter that's 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 something in this world man that's a lot of something you know so we we often in MMA have conversations only about someone's legacy when they do someone something like habib something incredibly special and obviously those are going to be more relevant conversations you're talking about who ranks all time and in whatever way you're measuring it you know but there are ways in which to think about other pros and what they did um, while being honest about their limitations and things that they did not do but also not losing sight of the fact that being a professional is hard enough. Being a successful professional is hard enough and being one that had a three-fight win streak and had some other good wins over ultimately ranked ranked opposition in the Ultimate Fighting Championship, and then ultimately went on to a career potentially in broadcast and um, previously had another one in modeling. I mean, that's a very interesting and well-rounded successful person, no doubt about it. Any thoughts on the uh, Eden-Azard situation with the Chelsea players after the game? Yeah, if you guys didn't see this, he went and like basically was cheery and chummy with his old Spanish or excuse me, his old uh, Chelsea teammates. Bro, Spanish media is ruthless. Like they're 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 terrible and mean. Uh although English media is pretty bad too. But uh they tore him a new one. And dude, like the ultras out of Madrid, like the hardcore Madrid fans, they are absolutely unforgiving. They'll whistle Gareth Bale more than they'll clap for a goal. I mean So, not smart on his part, just given the lay of the land. Look, is there a recent or upcoming fight for which you would consider doing an episode of Dissected Technical Difficulties? Personally, I'd like one about Usman, Burns, or Masvidal, blah, 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 since his striking has gotten so good. But I'd be up for anyone you would consider interesting. Much love. Saludos desde Argentina. Um, Yeah, man, there's nothing preventing me from doing it. there's nothing preventing me from doing it other than every Sunday I would rather just spend time with my kid and it's not fair to the people who subscribe to my channel. It's not fair to any of you probably not good for my career to do that. Um, candidly, but I'm at where I'm at. Did you listen to Diego Sanchez's interview with Anthony Smith on Sirius XM long stretches of it? Yes. If so, did you have any particular takeaways? Yeah, I got a bunch of takeaways. Um, Was it emotionally stirring for you? Yeah, I mean, I have genuine heartfelt sympathy for Diego. For me, the part where he's addressing Dana and talking about how much he sacrificed for the UFC really got me. I really felt for him in that moment. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing, though. It's like, dude, I told you guys this story before. If you've never, I don't know where you'd even find something like this anymore. Back in the day when they were on, I think it was UFC on Versus, but it's the one I go back to. He had a long career before this, but when Diego fought Martin Campman. You gotta understand something. That fight is somewhat remembered for the fact that Diego should not have won it, and he should not have won it. You can go back and look at it in in um, highlight reels, and you can see there's a lot of times where Diego is like blitzing forward, and he's throwing all these punches, and like none of them are landing. But the crowd kind of roars and this and and whatever. And so you f- like you go back and you look at the, the judging. And you're like, how the fuck did they get this so wrong? In part because they were. Actually Diego kind of showed if you can get close enough to striking or land, but not necessarily authoritatively, um, but you can do a lot of volume, you can kind of be the one moving forward, maybe get the crowd at your side. I think that I think that is evidence that the judges can be swayed. In any case, that's the larger narrative around that fight. That's what when, when people ask you about, hey, what's the story of the Diego Sanchez? Versus Martin Campman fight, that's the story that everyone tends to go to. But I've told you guys this before. There's another story, which is if you watch Diego's fucking face, it looked like it was there were parts of it that were gonna fall off by the time that fight was over. I mean, Martin Campman put it on him. Make no mistake about it, he fucked him up. Okay, but Diego, uh, certainly in his physical prime at the time, just marching forward and never saying no there's a scene where backstage you see him getting medicine and stitched up and the whole nine yards and then um it was like on a like a versus back when all the different media companies had their own proprietary players now everyone uses youtube or vimeo or something but at the time like every company had their own proprietary player versus had one and you see dana come backstage you see lorenzo come backstage and you see them being like jesus christ kid how are you are you okay like i showed an unbelievable amount of heart like thank you like there was you know they definitely realized, dude, that day Diego had sacrificed on the altar there a little bit. And Diego, after they leave, talks to the camera, and you can see him beating his chest. That's my favorite fight for Diego, even though he lost it, because he came... or certainly his my favorite walkout, I should say. Because he walked out to La Bamba, you know, which is like that Chicano-American, which is distinctly, um, you know, it's a little bit of its own community relative to the United States and Mexico. like the kind of like this little interesting mix. And... Um, in many ways, that might be the, not the anthem of those people, but not too too far from that. So you do, you got all these feels watching it. And he's banging his chest, his face looking like absolute fucking hamburger meat. And he's like, corazón, corazón, which means heart. And dude, I got one of the, I showed that shit to my wife. I was so moved. I was like, you got to see this. You just got to see this dude doing this. And you just can't fucking believe, man. And dude, he did that, you know, to that extent, I don't know. But he did something like that. Over and over and over and over and over again. When that guy talks about the fact that he sacrificed for the UFC, take every fucking word truthfully. And probably whatever he's telling you is actually even a fraction of what the reality is. I guarantee it, dude. That dude was fucking gun-ho. He was, what we say in the Marine Corps, a hard fucking charger, dude. He is high speed, low drag. (laughs) Ha! I mean, that dude was about that life in ways that other fighters couldn't even comprehend. And it came at a cost. But this is the shit I keep going back to, man. First of all, Diego has a history of making poor decisions, which he will honestly admit to. Which is why he unfortunately lost his initial stockpile of wealth um, when he went down. And it wasn't from, I should be clear it wasn't the Hibero brothers that did it. They, They did nothing but train him and did good things. But it was at that same time in his life when he made some decisions with some other folks that cost him his money i don't know what kind of money he has now i suspect that they he he has not managed it well so partly you cannot divorce from that uh situation perhaps some of the bad choices that diego has made in his life his own life management but then the other part which i keep going back to over and over and over and over dude you see all these fighters wait until they have no no cost to pay which you can understand because the careers are short and blah 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 but if you want to wait until your career is basically over to start bashing the UFC don't waste your time it's not that people don't think it's true or that it might have some marginal impact and fan sentiment make people feel bad for a little bit but it doesn't in in, people keep thinking I say people fighters and the ones around them that if I wait until my career is over and I just say bad things about the UFC even if they're entirely truthful which in you know in the case of Diego's stories about his self-sacrifice, I believe, but about all the other conspiracy theories around there, I, I, you know, I don't take much stock in them. But if you want to wait until you're at the end of your career to say bad things, because you think enough sympathy that you can generate from your peers and fans will result in some kind of life change for you, other fighters, you are wasting your time. You are wasting your time. They. The fighters all want to do all the things except the things that can meaningfully fix their situation. right? I don't know that I'm the biggest fan of the Ali Act, but it would certainly result in perhaps a better world where um, fighters, certainly A-list fighters, had a lot more say over their careers. But you don't see a lot of them doing anything on behalf of that. The union could be a massive massive change to the way in which they do things. They don't really wanna take the initiative to do that. Or, you know, pick your cause du jour about how they get to a situation where you can see a lot less of these. Uh, They don't wanna do it. They don't wanna do it. And so what they wanna do is wait until there are no costs to pay, there is no sword to fall on. And I understand that, I do, I really do. But if you think at the end of that rainbow, you've built up enough fan support to say bad things about UFC and then the UFC is going to be suffering the consequences is just delusional. It's totally delusional. The UFC is putting out excellent content all the time. They obey as far as I can tell, uh, every letter of every law in every territory they go to, they have, they just went public for crying out loud through endeavor. Like you think saying bad things on a podcast, about them is going to like meaningfully change your fortunes or theirs. It's, you know. I'll say it one more time to the fighters, man. The cavalry ain't coming. It ain't coming, bro. Cavalry ain't coming. You can put in all the calls for air support you want. It ain't coming. There's no relief. There's no, you know. Um, support coming nothing unless enough of them take the steps to change the industry in the way in which the industry can be changed you know they keep thinking at the end of my run you know I'll hit the brakes and uh, 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 on all my UFC support that I've been doing for 15, 16 years and then I'll turn it around and that will be this will be some kind of great change in my life and UFC's You know. Mm -mm. Nope. Are UFC planning an event in London with Till versus Brunson already announced for the card on August 14th? This is also the date Eddie Hearn has given for AJ Fury. Are the UFC really going to -to toe-to-toe with this event or do you think they will change? They might go toe-to-toe. Well, wait a second. If... Let's think about this for a second. Uh, Oh, I don't see. I don't know. I don't know what it would depend on what time AJ and Fury went. Would they do local evening in Saudi Arabia? Would they do local? uh, Would they go live at like a time that's and I would imagine that they would. They would go live at a time that's for uh, UK audiences, right? It's the biggest fucking fight. I mean, it's a shame that the biggest fight in UK history for heavyweight boxing, certainly anyway. Maybe all of boxing for London or uh, to for uh, UK fighters uh, is actually not taking place in London. That's a bit of a shame, but um, I would it would really depend on that. I'll say this: if it ends up like you know, partly you can just argue to different audiences, and UFC tends to not be overly invested in that kind of stuff. They they might go head to head, um, but it would depend on whether AJ Fury is designed to be a main event targeted for the London audience. Which, again, I suspect that it probably would be. But, you know, again, UFC is often like, eh, two different audiences. They won't put a pay-per-view on that day for sure. They won't do that. But, like, they'll happily put a UFC event on the day of a big UFC or a big, uh, big boxing fight. So, we'll see. When discussing the welterweight title picture, many experts seem to dismiss Wonderboy. On Morning Combat, you and Brian mentioned Luke Aikiesa and Neil. As potential contenders and didn't even mention thompson even though he clearly beat two of these fighters that's right to me he's the only fighter who can challenge usman due to his unique style and he's still very competitive even for his age there is no doubt in my mind that if he beats burns he should get the next title shot for usman beating wonder boy would show that he can beat fighters of different styles similar to gsp beating condit well first of all he's already shown that i mean to the extent that beating thompson would demonstrate the ultimate versatility of it. Yes, he's not done that yet, but has he beat fighters with different styles? Of course he has. Um Yeah, I mean, here's the problem with that. He lost twice to to Woodley. Prime Woodley perhaps or end of prime Woodley, but he lost just the same. And so it's a little bit of MMA math people are playing on one argument because it's like, "Oh, well, if he lost twice to Woodley, could you beat Usman, which is really not the way you should be thinking about it? But I just feel like there's a little bit of inertia in that way. The second one is it's like, dude, you had two chances. We're going to give you a third over people that we haven't given one to. In the case of Luque Kiesa and and uh, and Neil Magney, potentially, you know, there, one's a fresh. They're all fresh matchups considering that uh, Usman has not fought Wonder Boy. But in terms of fresh title contenders, those other names stand out. Now, I agree. I think that Usman versus Thompson is ultimately interesting. I would like to see it. Um, But I think for a guy who lost twice, who was already on the big stage, even if these are new circumstances, there's still a little bit of that, like, we gave you a chance and you didn't make it hang on. There we we are. Sorry about that. Went out for just a second. I apologize. Uh, You know, Comcast Internet. What are you going to do? All right. uh, Let's get back to your questions. Here we are. Go to CloudOptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's CloudOptimizer.com. Look, what would be your advice to a member of the independent media who blew an interview with Chris Cyborg? Context, I write for a website in Australia, tried to screen record a Skype call, and due to privacy laws... There is no audio to the video. Well, let me tell you, anybody who you see who's in, you know, my kind of position or like to let's say Australia, the the submission radio fellas, anybody, anybody who does this stuff for a living has had this before where you go through a whole situation and then you look at your tape and you're like, "Fuck me." You know, where the the video didn't record or the audio didn't record or the audio recording and the screen went black or you know, listen. Do I need to tell you I've had a number of errors with technology over the years? I, I doubt that comes as much of a surprise or revelation to the majority of you. Uh, you got to get over it. You got to be a quarterback uh, if you're Australian. So this is the, you know what Tom Brady is in the American football system. and You have to forget about it. But what I would also say is, in addition to forgetting about it, stop beating yourself up over it. Everybody does it. On the other side, you need to make sure you take steps that you troubleshoot ahead of time. And I like to have one or two ways things record. A lot of systems on your Mac, PC too, but a lot of systems on your Mac won't let you double record, where you can't use two different software programs at once simultaneously to record. There are some exceptions to that rule, but in general, there's especially with some of the, the more common tools like Ecamm that you might use. If you've not used Ecamm, you should get that for Skype calls. E C A M M. Um, uh, so what you'll want to do is find another way to double record. Um, so I'll put a microphone uh, system in the camera if I'm doing like in-person interviews and then I'll have a separate recording system attached to the microphone so no matter what our different microphone system so no matter what happens uh, I got at least two like audio has to fail two or three different ways for me to have it right so you have to have equipment where um, you can rec- you can record it so the software will record it and then you know the hardware will record it and um, you've got it a couple different ways because if you don't you're going to run into a situation. You, like, you're going to have another situation, maybe not exactly like this, but where some shit's going to go down and uh, you're going to be like, what the fuck do I do? If you have backup, you can always have another way to make it work. Also, the reason why you're, if you s- screen recorded a Skype call, you did not actually go through the settings you have to go through with the screen record to get the audio, which you can actually do. I've never done it for Skype calls, but... Uh, So Google that. Um, uh, There's a YouTube channel called Think Media, and they've got tons of little hacks like this about how to record this, how to set this up, how to foolproof this. Think Media. Check them out on YouTube. Just like BC, if you decide to go on vacation for a couple of weeks, who do you think would be best suitable to deal with BC's artistic co-hosting? How long would they last? Not long, and there is no one. Like either the chemistry is what the chemistry is Or it's not You know They'll probably have Rashad in there They make it Bronstetter Or maybe Ch- Man in the Hat But you know uh, And they're all great But it's not the same show That's funny um, Have I addressed this specifically before? Between me and Joanna? Well I doubt she cares or even remembers But boy do I remember uh, Yeah I mean the long and short of it is that in a very important situation and a very important career in, or a career moment in my life. Um, she was insanely unprofessional about an obligation she had made like to a, listen. I'm used to like subjects in MMA fighters or coaches or whoever missing events or, you know, botching the details in some kind of way, or just somehow acting unprofessionally, you know, through the course of the process like you kind of have to get used to that i'm talking about grading on a curve in this case one of the most unprofessional fucking things i've ever seen in my life so um you know i'm not under the impression that you know she labors at night trying to sleep uh, i seriously doubt she either remembers or cares but i remember and i care and it and it and it fucked me too by the way like it's one thing like john jones's thing was insulting And you know, people were having a a go about it on social media or whatever, but like, didn't really affect my job. What she did, did. (laughs) What's your take on Planet Fitness and especially the Lunk Alarm and idea of the gym serving pizza every week to its members? All right, this is going to come as a surprise to you. Maybe it won't, I don't know. It depends on your perspective. Uh, I'll, I'll come clean about something for years. For years, I have had a Planet Fitness membership. <gasps> Perish the thought. So, so here's what what the deal is. Um, I have a I have a membership with them that it's only ten bucks a month. Now it doesn't serve the purpose that it used to because I've had it for like honestly four or five years. Like I don't I don't even know at this point. Um, there's one in DC not far from my house, and the reason I got it was because. I had another gym membership in the city, but it was all the way across town. And for 10 bucks a month, I'm like, am I even gonna notice that in my bank account? You know, given I, I might go to Starbucks and get this and get that, I wouldn't even notice it. So fuck it, I'll just, yeah, I'll just pay 10 bucks a month. And if I'm ever in a jam where, you know, a lot of times in DCs there's like protests, or marathons, or even traffic can be bad, or I have I have a narrow window. I'll just go to the one, the, the Planet Fitness close to my house, it's a shitty workout, but I'll get it. So in the, in the last five years, I've probably been there maybe 10 times, maybe 10 times. And every criticism you've heard of this gym in terms of what it lacks, all of it is true. I think the one I went to, the dumbbells didn't go above 70 pounds each hand. So for like, if I was going to do bench and by the way, all of the bars, all the barbells are on tracks like smith machines which is just fucking terrible for you and i mean there's ways you can make it work but you should not be using those for especially for heavy kind of bench maybe volume work you could defend it but anyway so i'd have to do like one-armed uh um lifting with it to make it challenging like you know challenge my core and my balance because 70 pounds like i mean i can rip that out forever you know each hand it's not it's not, it's not i don't give a fuck with anybody well anybody my size that's not heavy okay it's not heavy so like, you have to make some accommodations, but I thought to myself, I was like, what if I thought of it this way? My gym across town, which is really nice, that's my gym. I'm gonna treat Planet Fitness when I need it like my emergency, you know, gym. And for 10 bucks a month, I mean, I haven't, been there, I haven't been there once this year. I don't think I went there once last year. In fact, I'm pretty sure I didn't go once last year. Uh. Yeah, I didn't go once. So I haven't been since 2019, but I keep paying that 10 bucks a month. You're like, oh, you know, that's 240 bucks in the last year. You've kind of wasted. Yeah, I mean, again, I got all the shit at home that I, at this point, I should probably cancel it. But at the same time, it's like, what if it's raining? You know, and, okay, my other gym is pretty close at this point. Uh, that, the nice one that I go to. I, I have a different one that I go to now sometimes. Um, but, you know, it, it was just at the time, it was like, if you think about it, like, I, I listen, here's the truth. If you've got 30 minutes to work out versus, you know, uh, versus an hour, 30 minutes is not as good. But that 30 minutes, doing that is better than just skipping the workout. Fact. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. That's a fact. It's much better to get in something than just let it go. And so I'll say if you treat it that way, if you make it your primary gym, you got problems. Like you're not, you're going to have real, I mean, unless you're some kind of like, you know, total couch potato. Uh, you're gonna have real. You're gonna have a hard time. You're gonna have a hard time progressing. But if it's a backup gym on a backup day that you use once in a while, fuck it, dude. Go to Planet Fitness. It's ten dollars a month. Like, what's the downside? Oh, I didn't use it. Okay. What do you think will be the UFC two sixty two buys? I'm guessing the ESPN push, it can be four to 500K. It won't be half of that. It won't be half of that. Four to 500K is what John Jones pulls. We're not even anywhere near that territory. Neither of these guys, if I'm mistaken, neither of these guys who are headlining this pay per view have ever headlined a pay per view before. Uh, I don't think Mike Chandler has ever headlined, certainly on a UFC pay per view. And uh, I don't think Charles Oliveira has ever headlined. He's headlined shows. I don't think he's headlined a pay per view. Dude, it's, if they sell 250, I would be extremely impressed. Was that a staph infection on Park Jun Yong's chest? Sure as fuck looked like one. Are you going to get your gallbladder removed because of the alcohol? I'm told it has nothing to do with that. Uh, I had a consultation with a surgeon. I'm like, "Is this all my years of heavy drinking?" He goes, "Believe it or not, no. It plays no role." Um, that's an interesting question. School of philosophy, do you most align with? What are your core beliefs? So that's a longer conversation. I don't. I don't. Um, I didn't read philosophy as any kind of like club. To It wasn't like rushing a fraternity. Like, oh, if you come to this one, this is what we believe and these are all of our ceremonies and these are all of our traditions and these are all of our ways of acting in the world and blah, blah, blah. I mean, you sort of read around, you try to form a coherent worldview. And uh, I think what I more paid attention to was like um, looking over the history of who won intellectual battles and why and what became dominant ideas and why. The biggest one that ever had an impact on me in terms of like um, in what I studied would be the logical positivists and how they um, had this sort of empirical approach to scientific understanding. But, you know, I, I don't know if I go around being like, I'm a logical positivist. Like, I don't think that that's, that's not a way in which I view the world. How's the Ninja Blender? Bro, It's I, I, I don't do a ton of cooking, uh, at least with the blender anyway. So, you know, you'd have to ask someone who's like a real deal home chef for a better recommendation. But for donks like me, that ninja is the shit, bro. (laughs) It works like a charm. Do you think coaches who do a lot of media are any less effective as their fame grows? No, but I have seen them—the ones that get really famous—get really tired of it, causing a lot of problems for them, and then having to dial it all back. Not entirely, but a lot. I mean, Greg Jackson used to do interviews every week. He'll never do one, or almost never do one. It's extremely rare. Um, and I don't think he was trying to like hoard fame. I think he was trying to, you know, probably grow his brand a little bit. Uh, certainly, and and maybe get some attention for himself for future. You know, clients but you know, it comes with so many problems about things you're asked to speak on and um, it you know puts you between fighters in certain cases and it's tough it's tough so I can understand why they would want to do a lot less over time. I enjoyed your analysis of the martial arts movie The Night Comes for Us. That movie is the shit. It's on Netflix, I think. And the comparisons you made to it of uh, slasher flicks. Have you gotten around to watching TV show Warrior and HBO Max yet? I have fiddled with it. In fact, the guy who plays... Uh, it's a true story. The guy who plays Bruce Lee in that, mo- uh, that series uh, wrote me on Instagram. He's a fan. He's an MK fan. Can you believe that? True story. 100% true story. You know what? Where's my phone? I'm not going to show you his message, but let's see if I can find it here on my... I'd have to dig a little bit, but it's around here. Yeah. Let's see if I can show you without. Let's see if I can show you without really showing you. Can I? Not exactly. Oh, kind of. Well, fucking a. It's Jason Tobin. He wrote me. Uh, he's a fan of the show. How about that? Fucking awesome. in your opinion who does big john and josh thompson dislike more out of you and bc for sure bc yeah usually i would be your default most hated dude out of like a crowd you know like a lineup i'm gonna be the one that they pinpoint who snatched the purse so to speak but um in that particular case josh had it out for bc which apparently bc wanted me to like throw him a life preserver i don't even know what the fuck that is but what are you gonna do Why do you think, excuse me, what do you think Francis walks around at if he has to cut down to 285? I'm told not too much bigger. I don't think he ever gets far above 280, if that, if even above that. Uh, Do you think it's realistic that John Jones wants to come in as big or bigger than him? No. I think John is looking for, like, tight end size, about 240 pounds. If you guys don't know tight ends in American football, they uh, often play at, uh, I don't know if exclusively, but no, They'll often play at some kind of position between the wide receivers, although they can line up as a receiver, but usually between the receivers and the offensive line, part of the offensive line, and they well, they can run routes, they can block, uh, you know, being a pass-catching tight end is a big deal, but they are not like a typical wide receiver, they're not, they're not super rail-thin and lanky and built for like ultimate downfield speed. They're kind of like a mix. They're not quite the lineman who's like three hundred plus pounds and can be athletic, but a little bit on the heavier side. Nor are they like the wide receiver who is, you know, maybe two hundred pounds or so, but has like a 4340. forty. They're the in between. So they can. They're big. They're athletic. They can block. They can tackle. But at the same time, they catch passes. They're on the offensive side of the ball. I think that's what he's looking for. A little bit more versatility. Keep the speed if you can. Um, get enough weight to manage the bigger bodies you're going to have to uh, handle but not go too far in one direction where you've got all the speed but none of the size or you've got all the size but none of the agility, I think that would be a problem. I think he's going to try and split the difference. And honestly, if you're 240 pounds and you can wrestle the way that John does, which I mean to say not just successfully executing takedowns, but if there's a bad spot or even a neutral spot, you know, he's going to know how to clinch. He's got good foot sweeps. He's going to know how to clench and be safe in that position. He's going to know how to enter and exit and you know in that position. So he's going to have the technical expertise, I think, matched with the size and experience to mostly keep himself safe in those kinds of positions. Um, and I don't think anyone would recommend for him going like matching Francis in size. Fra- you know, to match Francis in size, you'd have to kind of be Francis. Like Francis is muscular and having has to cut to two sixty five. If you were that lean. And that big, yeah, be as big as him. But if you're having to bulk, and like I saw the pictures, and John obviously looks athletic and strong, but he doesn't look, he doesn't look lean to me. Again, that's not some fat ass or something, but he doesn't look lean. Um, you know, you can't mimic that. You can't. You do, do maximize what you have, and let that be the potency. Don't try and be what others are. Initial thoughts on Islam Makhachev versus Thiago Moises, set for July seventeenth. It's a weird fight, but I've got some thoughts on that. We're going to get to that tomorrow, so I don't want to. I don't want to spoil that. Any thoughts on the recent signing of Patty Pimblett in UFC? Uh, I remember distinctly saying he never had to come to UFC at a certain point in his career, like he didn't need to. And then here he is. Um, I don't. Want, I wonder what changed. I mean, fighters change their mind all the time. There's nothing scandalous about it, but I wonder what changed. Um, he's obviously talented. I think the signing makes sense. I, I don't know exactly what his upside is. I tend to think that there is a ton of hype he has to live up to. But I don't have a strong feeling one way or the other. Um, but, you know, there there is a lot of hype around him that, you know, it's burdensome. What's the most shocking fight you ever watched live? Not necessarily in the arena. In the arena, the most like, what the fuck am I looking at one was Kimbo Dada. That was just like, what the fuck? You know? Um not shocking in like horror, but shocking in like confusion and maybe at the time we didn't know any better. Like we were kind of laughing at it. Um so that was bad. I would say Man, there's been regional fights that were really fucking weird. You know, you guys think of the ones in the UFC as like really kind of it's it's your it's your orientation about MMA but when you expand it I mean just think about what like Rebecca Hitman puts out how many of the crazy things you see happen from UFC or Bellator or something some stuff of course a lot of stuff even but dude a big chunk of it comes from like international or regional MMA where you just see the most random shit like when uh, I retweeted it recently when uh El Leigh McFarlane laid out some fucking soccer mom. I mean, this lady dude looked like she had more experience reaching for groceries off the shelf than throwing a punch. And I mean that quite literally. You know, you're like, what the fuck is this? You know, where where the game is at its fringes, you begin to see crazy things. I saw a case where, who did I tell this to recently? I forget. I forget who I told this to, but I saw a case where I went to a fight where the referee... And one of the fighters, the referee in that fight, not like a referee in the arena, for that fight, they were training partners. And the guy, the referee's training partner, who was one of the fighters, was losing. Bad. And the, the referee, <laughs> like, would not stop it. And I'm talking, this dude was taking, un, in, like, you just couldn't believe the abuse. And so finally, people were screaming at him, and uh, including me, and I was commentating for like a local amateur organization. That's really where it comes from. And he finally stopped it, but I was just like, "Dude, you would never see shit like that," you know. Somewhere else, any post workout supplement that you recommend? I've been using Gorilla Mode pre workout, and I've been liking it. Gorilla Mode is great for pre workout. So if you guys don't know, there used to be this thing. Years ago, there was this thing uh, that was described as the anabolic window. There was a a belief that basically in the hour or so after you've lifted weights with resistance training, that's a great time to get in uh, proteins and whatever you need to really give your body nutrients, but in particular for protein. And the reason why they believed that was there was some initial research around dogs. It does turn out that with dogs, if they have like an exerted period and then following that, um, you give them you know things that are good for a muscle development in dogs. That that moment after the exertion, it actually does count more in terms of turning into useful lean muscle more than other times during the day. And so folks thought that might be the case for humans, but subsequent research has shown it's really not quite true. I, I've told you guys this before. I like protein shakes. I think they're tasty. They they are good for you know uh, uh, curbing a sweet tooth. But you don't actually need them right after a workout. You guys want to take creatine? Look, take it at a time that is convenient for you. But the most important thing to do is just to take it consistently, right? That's, it's, it's not really about whether you take it in the morning or the afternoon or pre or intra or post workout. There might be some insanely marginal differences, but there's nothing really, uh, there's, there's, no, there's no real reason to time it a certain way other than what works for you. Um, but of course, double check that with folks like Mike Isratel or whoever your, your, your um, credentialed uh, and reliable fitness uh, expert is. But that's certainly, in, in, in consuming their work um, and the work of other people who I have a very high opinion of in terms of their understanding of the world of strength, they're all pretty consistent. Like they're really, for humans, there really is no such thing as the anabolic window. So find something you like. You know, if you're trying to get an extra protein, you don't want a ton of calories, find a shake. Maybe you want to have Chipotle afterwards if that's part of your macros or whatever. Uh, find something that makes you happy. I like the shakes because it's I, I buy a bunch of them in bulk. It's not too expensive. I can get a bunch of calories in, sorry, a bunch of protein grams in with not too many calories. They taste good. It's something for, for me anyway. They something to look forward to at the end of a workout, but like, I don't need to do it the way I'm doing it. I just like to do it the way I'm doing it and it fits into the larger program, right? So that's the whole idea. Someone had asked me earlier about this, and I'd said I'd get to it. Uh, I don't know if I really want to, but I kind of have to. I guess I kind of have to, right? Um, a little bit. Folks are asking about um, what's happening with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Look, man, I'll end on this. I have spoken up about this issue before, and it has been nothing but like a problem for me. Not not just like in my personal life, or 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 you know, sort of as social media interaction, but more than that, like, dude, people inside MMA have gotten, dude, I've gotten threats. I've gotten, you know, uh, famously, uh, I mean, we're fine now, but Scott Coker got super bitter at me about one of my takes on uh, on the State of Israel. And, you know, whatever I say here, it's going to cause problems for me, so I'm going to keep this as minimal as I can uh, and just try to explain to you, like, uh perhaps a helpful way of framing the situation. Um, you know, it's interesting. I think in many ways in the last five to ten years, some of the differences between the traditional left-right um, uh, views that people hold have kind of gone away or, or massively changed. And the, the, so the fault lines separating the left from the right aren't exactly what they used to be, not, not at all. Um, but this one seems to be that case. This one seems to be still very much you're seeing the old traditional allied blocks of... Whoever supports Israel has stayed much that way, and for Palestinians, just the same. Look, man, every life is precious. Every every Jewish life, every Israeli life, every Muslim life, every Palestinian life. It is all. This is all just profoundly tragic. Um. In various ways, this has been happening for the entirety of my life. You know, um, it's terrible. You know, so you see a lot of people cheaply taking sides or um, trying to minimize the overall human toll. I mean, you just sort of think about on either side what the loss has, has been here. It's uh, it's unfathomable the scale of devastation. Um, and I think I think you should sort of acknowledge that. Like this, and, and, and another thing too. Look, I am not a Middle East scholar. I strongly encourage you to go read other Middle East scholars, whoever that may be that you can find that is worthwhile. Um, If you're looking for someone a little bit more of the anti-Orientalist side, Edward Said is good, but he's actually not exactly a historian of that era. If you want to go the other side, his chief nemesis was Bernard Lewis. You can read a lot of his books as well. Bernard Lewis, in fact, has a book sort of of the history of the Middle East that will lay out a lot of these things. But um, understand that when it comes to the various political actors in this space, there are no good guys. There are innocent victims, of course. uh, But there are no—people keep thinking that, like, like, let's go find the good guy here. Yeah, good luck finding him. terms a political actors, everyone has blood on their hands and um it is it is a total uh, and at this point I part, I think I don't know what they're going to do. Look, it, it goes like this. This is basically the problem uh and again, <laughs> there's no basic way to describe this. This is a this is a, this is a situation that's going to have ramifications for religious identity, for familial history, for international law, for geopolitical alliances, for I mean, racial uh, uh, lines and and, and, and uh, I mean th- this touches the human experience and the institutions we've built around it in every way. There is no easy way to simplify this problem in a way for me to describe it to you. The best that I could probably do, is something like this. Uh, there are about six and a half million Israelis um, that exist as we know it, about 600,000, maybe a little bit more than that, in the occupied territories. There's about, what, occupied territories would be what? East Jerusalem, which you're seeing a lot in the news now, Gaza Strip and the West Bank. Um, not, not exactly Israel proper. Right. So there's about 600,000, maybe 700,000 or so of the settlers. Uh, there's about a million and a half Palestinians in Israel proper. And there's about... Um, these are Arab-Israeli citizens. And uh, there's about 5 million or so in the occupied territories. Again, East Jerusalem, Gaza Strip, and West Bank. Who, you know, are not subject to the laws of Israel proper. What you're seeing... Um, in a variety of different ways, and we can't get into all the violence that you're saying because I barely have time to comment on it, but what you're, what, what this essentially comes down to is uh, you have seen Israel accused of being apartheid, which is a very, very charged term. Uh, a lot of people really uh, who are very pro-Israel reject it, but whatever you want to call it, this is the situation they're up against. It used to be partly a demographic problem where you would see the birth rate of people in occupied territories where you know they are essentially under Israeli control, but they're not part of Israel proper, and in fact, the biggest issue there is they're also, they don't have a right to self-determination or um, uh, in any kind of reasonable way, self-governance. It used to be demographic because they were outnumbering generation over generation, their birth rate, um, Israelis. There has actually been a recent decline, so, the populations and the populations for the foreseeable future will be roughly equal if you count everyone from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean, right? If you count everyone in that space, they're roughly equivalent. But as I mentioned, you've got 5 million Palestinians who uh, this, is, this is basically the issue. Um, they don't just live in separate territories, which I think, what's the unemployment rate in Gaza? It's like this incredible... Was, uh, it's like fifty percent or more, something, something insane. It's um, yeah, forty nine percent, which is you know, half of people are out of work. Um, th- th- the issue is as follows: uh, the people, the five million folks who are described, they are in every way, their lives are dictated by uh, who gets elected. As the the leaders and the prime minister of Israel, right? That that's that is who ultimately will define their existence, and they don't get uh, a say a say over who gets elected in Israel. And there's a couple responses that people might have to that, which is, um, you know, well, they're not, they don't deserve to be Israeli citizens. Fine, but here's the problem: um, two things. One, Israeli citizens who are who have the full protection of the law. Uh, of Israel uh, will be in the occupied territories. Again, there's not a whole lot of them relative to the larger population, but it is growing in number. They believe that they are entitled to it. Uh, Some of them do anyway. And so what you're seeing is a situation where in those occupied territories, uh, if you are uh, of Palestinian descent, uh, you do not have any of the voting rights or any of the other real access to uh, the constitutional rights that come from being in Israel proper, that the 1.5 million citizens do, while the uh, Jewish-Israeli settlers who are there, they do have that. So you have this unequal terms in these occupied territories. And by the way, they call it occupied because this is an occupation. It's a military occupation. That's not really up for debate. Um, and, you know, sort of the colonial impacts, you can measure there as well. But part of the understanding here is that this, this military occupation has devastated these territories And more to the point, it'd be one thing if it was a military occupation of another land that had some measure of self-governance or independent um, nation-state identity. Uh, That actually would not qualify under the 1973 terms for the Convention on Apartheid. It would not qualify. It would be something else. Maybe a military occupation isn't good, but it actually would not qualify for it. But the problem is they are also not allowed self-determination in those spaces by law, and they are not allowed... um, I mean, you can call the various forms of government there that have been erected by Palestinian leadership government, but in in no real way do they actually have true self-governance. So they have neither the option option to join um, the larger Israel proper, nor do they have the ability for self-determination or self-governance while settlers in that space do have that protection. It's going to cause problems, and in fact, the military occupation for West Bank and for Gaza has been incredibly devastating, particularly for Gaza. Some folks call it, in the human rights world, and you know this is a debated term, but they call it an open air prison, the largest open air prison in the world. Um, you know, but there's no denying that Gaza has been severely impacted because there's all kinds of. Uh, Travel laws and restrictions on trade, and who can come and go. In fact, most of them can't come and go. There's no free movement between West Bank and Gaza, even though they are independently Palestinian territories, or at least presumably uh, Palestinian territories. And so you end up with the situation that you have. And what's happening is in this neighborhood uh, f- uh, in East Jerusalem, there are laws that allow, um, you know, there's 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 a, there's a split between Israeli citizenship and then uh, the nationalism that comes with being comes with being jewish they have split it uh, that way with the laws and so you know people say oh well if you live in in israel proper you you know you have tons of different things that you have full access to society that an arab judge through a former um uh, israeli prime minister in jail all this is true but a lot of there's, there's still more than 50 laws on the books that separate and bifurcate those two things aforementioned it's actually not true that they have all the exact same rights constitutionally that uh, Palestinian, Arab Israelis have, that they have of the other citizens. They, 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 they do not. So you can say that there might be, okay, maybe someone will argue, okay, well, there might be apartheid or in the occupied territories, but it doesn't exist in the nation state proper, the proper Israel. And uh, it's true, like their lives there. I, I, people ask me, have I been to Israel? I've been a number of times. I've been to, my buddy of mine was a Marine security guard uh, in Tel Aviv. It's a nice place. It's a nice place. And again, we should note something here, like all of the arguments you hear in general, I should say, about like the fecklessness of Palestinian leadership, all true. That a lot of the other Arab countries in that area, you know, that they use the Palestinians as a, a way to just to make themselves look good in you know denouncing Israel without really doing anything meaningful for Palestinians. It's absolutely true. In fact, I saw this uh, movie recently that was it was a Lebanese movie, and it was a situation where this Palestinian dude who had no who was living in some kind of like refugee camp in Lebanon. You know, he was a second-class citizen among the Arabs there, and he, it was this whole thing because he spat on someone and insulted them, and there were all kinds of rules about, you know, uh, what you can say and do, and he had to go on trial for it. It was a whole movie, and the whole, the whole point of the movie is to show that even among the Lebanese, they treat the Palestinians like second-class citizens. So just to be clear, this is not some exoneration of the, uh, frankly, in many cases, backwards um, governments that you know repressive in every way, and and all the criticisms or many of the criticisms they make of Israel, they can't live up to themselves. It's it's not about that. It's just really about what are you going to do about all those people there, the 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 five million um, who who are under this occupation, who can't leave it by and large, um, who don't really have the who don't explicitly have the right to self determination, who don't really have any self governance and aren't eligible to join um, Israel as, as, a, as a citizen. What, like, what's gonna happen with that? Um, I don't know, and I certainly don't think that, like, you could in any way excuse wanton violence or the killing of innocents. I mean, far from it. This is not the argument that I'm making, but the argument that I am making is a little bit of, like, dude, what, like, that's not a condition for peace. Um, And at this point, the two-state solution, which was the previous, I thought, decent out that they all had, um, you know, is that on the blue and white's platform with the party, the blue and white? Nope. Is that on Likud's platform? Nope. I mean, I don't think, I I could be wrong about this, but I don't think an Arab party in the Knesset has ever even been part of a governing coalition, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, I'm not here to tell you that like, oh, Saudi Arabia is better. I don't think Saudi Arabia is better. Or that... That uh, Arabs in Israel have terrible lives. I don't. I don't think that's true at all. Um, I think you know. And and there's been a huge tech boom in Tel Aviv. Like, dude, it's a nice place. And they had an incredible vaccination effort. This is not about taking sides in the value of human life. I'm just going to keep asking folks, dude, what do you think this is going to do? You think this is a condition for peace? It quite clearly is not a condition for peace. Look at the situation. It's quite clearly not a condition for peace. I could go into all kinds of work. Um, about how some of international laws have been changed in a way um, at the behest of the Israeli government to uh, change the laws of international warfare to allow them more indiscriminate uh, and less surgical responses to the rocket attacks of Hamas, which again are, are fucking horrific in every way. Um, but, you know, when you begin to change international law in a way to. Um, I think give more latitude to a military response You're going to get more tragedy And the whole thing is just that The whole fucking thing is just Tragic beyond my ability to describe But so long as these conditions are in place You can call it whatever you want It's apartheid, it's not apartheid It's whatever you want it to be And that's a complex legal argument Among international law scholars I leave it to them You can call it what you want But that condition of extraordinary poverty and military control without self-governance dude like that's not a it's just not a condition for peace and uh, one of those parties is is uh, in position uh, not political parties but entities is in more of a position to do something about that than not but if you if you would rather take over those territories then grant them to your what do you want to call them, you know, um, neighbors, enemies, rivals, whatever it may be. Um, I, don't, I don't know what to say. I, I, Candidly, I don't know what to say. Um, you know, you should follow some, pal- you should follow Israelis too, but you should follow some Palestinians on social media. I follow a lot of people who are in Gaza, who are in, you know, West Bank, and, you know, it's tragic is not the word the the whole situation years and years and years and years not just in the occupied territories but the battle between the two entities it's just, it's it's terrible it's terrible in every way but i just don't see how any honest broker can look at the demography of what is happening not so much the population count but the other parts and and honestly say this is a suitable condition for them period and then for peace Beyond that. I, I I don't know how you can do that. I certainly cannot. Alright, with that in mind, let's call it a day, shall we? Alright, so let's do this. Thumbs up on the video. Hit subscribe. Uh MK tomorrow. Uh we'll get to UFC 262 previews, we'll do Dead Wrong, we'll do a bunch of stuff. So come back for that, okay. Appreciate you guys watching.